I'd like you to open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3 and Colossians chapter 1. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8. At the middle of that verse concerning Jesus and a reason that he came to this earth, it says, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now, did he or not? That's what it said he came to do, to destroy the works of the devil. And then in Colossians 1, in verse 13, it says this, Who hath, past tense, speaking of Jesus, who hath delivered us from the power or the authority of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, Two things. We are now in, as Christians, we are a part of his kingdom, the kingdom of his son. Amen. And we are there by virtue of what Jesus did for us. He rescued us from the power of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his son or the kingdom of light. That has been done. It does not need to be done again. Everything that it took to destroy the devil and his works, Jesus did it. In Luke 11, he said, When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. And his goods are probably referring to you. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overtake him, he taketh from him all his armor wherein he trusted and divideth his spoils. Now, the last time we finished in Colossians chapter 2, and I want to read that again, because this is an important message for the Christian in the Christian life. We're talking about deliverance, and tonight especially your authority, what God has given you to be strong with. You are to be strong in the Lord and what? And the power of his might. You're really not strong if you don't know what that is. I mean, what he's given you to make you strong. And you're still not strong if you don't know what to do with it. And if you don't understand it or it's not clear to you what it all means, you're still not strong. Maybe a good Christian, go to a good church, have a good heart, be a nice boy, nice girl, good man, good woman. But this world out here is full of devils. The Bible calls them demons or devils, evil spirits. There's a highly organized kingdom of darkness. And the head of that kingdom is Satan. God didn't create the devil. He created an angel. The angel sinned, and he became the devil. He became Satan, our adversary. And his goal, when he was cast to this earth, his mission is to kill and to steal and destroy. It appears from Revelation 12 that when he was cast out, he took a third of the angels with him. And they all have found their way into this world. And the Bible speaks of the God of this world, the devil in 2 Corinthians 4, the prince of the power of the air, the prince of the power of darkness. The Bible describes that other kingdom like that. Now, you can't see the devil any more than you can see God or his angels. It's another world, but it's real. And just because you can't see them doesn't mean they're not real because you see the evidence everywhere you go what the devil's doing. People are sick and mean and dying. There's violence and corruption and stealing and lying and cheating and gambling and, and adultery and immorality everywhere you go. And every one of those things 
and 10,000 more like them are all orchestrated by the devil. And he, like a roaring lion, goes about, and he still does, even with the redeemed. If the redeemer in darkness, and they don't know it's the devil, and they cooperate with him, you give place to the devil, he comes in. And he comes in, and he begins to do his work of destruction. Family discord, marital discord, domestic discord with raising children or relating to each other. Poverty is a spirit. Meanness and sullenness and moodiness, it's all of the devil. But if you don't know that, you try to cope with it and do the best you can. But you don't have to be like that because you've been delivered from it. He said he hath translated us out of that kingdom into his kingdom. And he hath put all things under his feet. And if we are seated with him in heavenly places, then what is under Jesus' feet is under our feet also. And he said, as the Father hath sent me, so send I you. If he send him to destroy the works of the devil, we must do the same thing also. And you realize everybody in this room, you and your family, or your ancestors, have been dominated by the devil for centuries. They have certain traits, ways that they lived, and things ran in the family. Divorce runs in the family. Alcoholism runs in family. Crime runs in families. And this all kinds of despondent things that just run in families. Mother had it. Grandma had it. Great-granny had it. She said her aunt, her sister has it. All of these things are the devil. He gets in. He comes in because people give place to the devil. We're told not to do that. But if you're ignorant about that, then you will. And when the devil is given place to, he comes in and he begins to operate because he goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he can devour. And he takes advantage of your children. Bible speaks of demons coming into little ones as children. Jesus asked the father once, how long has this been going on? He said, since he was a child. Jesus cast a demon out of that child, called it an unclean spirit. It manifested itself in a convulsion, but it was an unclean spirit of some sort. And so many years, the church is set by and wondered, why do all these things happen? And so many good people, why, why, why? Because they, people don't fight. Christians don't even know how to fight. And the ones that do, barely do. Some of them don't, but most of them that do fight, have fight because somebody showed them that they can. That you don't have to put up with all the... We'll just call it junk that the devil brings into people's lives. You don't have to be that way. I don't have to stutter the rest of my life. I don't have to be poor the rest of my life. I don't have to be anything that God has to judge. I don't have to be like that. Because anything that's not right is sin. Righteousness is all based on God as a standard. Anything else is wrong. And so there's a real world around all of us here, all of you here tonight. There's real demons and real devils out there. People try to make fun of it today as though that's some kind of a myth, but it's true. You need only to go down and see the broken lives in some of the bums and the beggars that you see or go to India where I was once and see people with leprosy and, and they can't help themselves. They got nobody to care for them. They're lonely, despondent and depressed and who cares? And you realize that the devil's world is a really a dark world. It is a terrible, terrible world. Hell was made for the devil and his angels. And all those who want to follow after him and indulge in his pleasures and his fun, they follow him into the pit. 
We don't have to. We've been delivered from all of that. Colossians 2, verses 13 through 15 tells us that Jesus did three things for us. Three things that encompass our redemption, our deliverance from the power of darkness. In Colossians chapter 2, in verse 13, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him. Quickened means made alive with him having forgiven you all trespasses. First of all, Jesus made it possible for a man to be forgiven, to be forgiven of his sins. Now, when Adam sinned and betrayed his role in life over to the devil, and the devil took his place and began to rule, remember he said to Jesus, all these kingdoms I will give to you because they have been betrayed unto me. When sin came into the world, God gave us a legal system. We call it the law and the ceremonial law and the cleansings and all the things that would point to what Jesus did. And we bring a bull or you bring a goat or you bring this offering or that offering. And these you offer in place of your sins to die on your behalf. These offerings became substitutions and they shed their blood. The priests would cut their throats especially on the Day of Atonement, catch the blood in a basin, sprinkle it in various places, and in that way you were atoned for. Your sins weren't removed, they were only covered over. A man had to keep doing this because his sins were always there. They were just covered over, and God tolerated man. But Jesus came, and he made it possible for us to be forgiven all of our sins so that they're no longer there. Washed whiter than snow, no more sin. Nothing else stands between me and God except the mediator. It's Jesus. I no longer am guilty for my past. Everything I did, every vile and ugly thing that the devil seduced me into doing and led me into making a fool out of me, I have been forgiven. Not because I'm worthy of it, because Jesus made it possible for me to be forgiven. He was the lamb that God offered for man's sins. He was the lamb of God who took our place. We call it the substitutionary atonement. Jesus went in our place. Our sins were imputed to him. He was not a sinner, but he was a sin bearer, an offering for sin. And he paid the price and we have been forgiven. The second thing it says that he did, that he ended the law as a means of righteousness. No longer must we follow a rigid set of rules or a holy code. That's what the law was. It was holy but it was weak because of man's sin. If you broke one law, if you missed it in one point in all the law, you were called a lawbreaker because there were no provisions in the law for removing that sin. And man was held under sin because of the law. And Jesus set the law aside as a means of righteousness because he fulfilled everything that it required and he was able to offer himself as a lamb without spot because he never broke the law. And the third thing he did is said in verse 15, and he spoiled principalities and powers. Having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly. That's the resurrection, triumphing over them in it. This is what Jesus has done for us. We can say tonight, that legally, judicially, by God's word, 
that we have been delivered. That what the devil had over on me, Jesus took off of me. Everything that was due me was placed on him, and he bore away all of these things that made me guilty of death. I am now free. I don't have to cooperate with the devil anymore. Romans 6, sin shall not have dominion over me. I'm not under the law. I'm under grace. But if people don't know that, they're still trying to make it to heaven by works and other things. If you're still in Colossians, go back two books to the left to Ephesians chapter 1. Get this in your heart if you want to. Verse 19, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power? That's where we're going tonight. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us, word, who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Anywhere the devil is, whatever the devil's done, principalities, power, dominions, thrones, Jesus is above it all, far above. And verse 22, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to whom? That's us. That's you and I. That is this coming together of believers corporately and individually. So powerful is this that it is even possible, as they did in the Bible, to give somebody's flesh to the devil for destruction. 1 Corinthians 5. And there's another verse about Hymenaeus and Alexander. Paul said, I give their flesh to the devil for destruction that they may learn. You talk about power, and there's one thing the devil doesn't want you to learn. It's about these principles. He wants you to think it would be nice if it did work, but it probably won't. And if you think that way, you'll be very ineffective and you shouldn't go on a lot of missionary journeys because the world is full of demons. Everywhere you go out there, other countries. When I went to India, I had studied all of this before and I was prepared in my mind and my spirit to deal with things if I had to. I'm not looking for the devil. I really don't have any interest in trying to cast out devils, but when they come your way, I sure want to know how and be ready and recognize it and be discerning. And you get in these places, you can see it in a lot of people's eyes, not suspicion. You can just see that there's something empty and very hollow in a lot of people. There's nothing there. It's just a house where the devil lives. He can't do anything to us that we don't allow him to do. You go to Haiti today the land where there's been so much voodoo and so much superstition and other places in the Hispanic countries where there's so much of Catholicism and all of the superstitious beliefs that those people have. They worship doors, skies, pictures, sights, Medjugorje. Wherever there has been an appearance of the Virgin Mary, they worship it. And they're told that if you do this and you can get some points with God and, and I, all of that. But in these countries, if you don't know these things, if you're not aware of these things, you try to do a lot of loving Christian things, thinking you can just love these people out of a hole, and you can't. You have to deal with the devil. You'll have to. You'll have to deal with him. 
because at some point he's going to manifest himself. And if you're not ready, he'll send you scurrying. But we're here tonight and a lot of meetings that we come where we deal with subjects like this so that you won't be defeated and you won't be dethroned, but you'll know how to overcome and how to deal with the devil. A lot of you have been on a lot of missionary journeys, gone a lot of places, and your discernment has to be keen. Again, there's times you need to say the blood of Jesus against that person. And then you hear people say, well, the blood of Jesus is not something that you can use. Well, actually you can, and you better know how. But there's all kinds of situations that you could find yourself entertaining and you need to know how to deal with it. Because spiritual darkness, spiritual darkness is a terrible thing. Listen to what Paul wrote about it. He said, having the understanding darkened, he said this in Ephesians 4.18, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through ignorance. This is not only the islands of the sea, this is also the little villages in America. Being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them. Many people are willingly, voluntarily ignorant. They don't want to be taught. They don't. They're not interested in being taught or going to a teaching meeting because they just go on Sundays. They have no interest in being taught. Now, guess who's behind that? Guess who's behind you not being taught or you not learning about the Lord? Guess who's behind it? Guess who encourages that and makes you busy enough that you can't go to church or you're always unable to get there or you're always tired when you get there? Guess who's behind that? There's one thing that the devil hates, and that's the power that a Christian can operate in if a Christian knows how to operate. He'll do everything he can to keep you from learning how to do that. Because you're dangerous to his kingdom when you know your authority. And when you don't know your authority, he's glad you go to church and he's glad you carry your Bible, sing your songs, clap your little hands and jump up and down and squeal. Just don't use your authority. Call somebody else to do it. Don't you do it. If we don't know our authority and how it works, how to operate in it, then we're going to be defeated. Now, there's four elements I want to talk about tonight that comprise or make up our authority. This is not a new message. It's a useful message, and you should not only get this one down pat, but you should memorize these things and work on this because this is how we exercise our dominion on this earth, our authority. Remember, we've been translated out of a dark kingdom into a light kingdom. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. A confrontation cannot be avoided. You're going to face the devil. He goes about looking. He is the tempter. He comes to test, to dethrone. He comes to lie to you, to cheat, to make you feel bad, make you look bad, make you sound bad. He wants you to slander and gossip. He's behind all of that stuff, and God judges it, and he knows he does. If he can get you sideways with God, sin separates between you and God, then you've just given place to the devil. He does. The first one here, you got to know, is the word of God. There's no greater power, there's no greater source of power that exists than that. This is the way it works. God and his word are one. 
In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And in John 1.14 it says, And the Word became flesh, so that Jesus is a living Word. Now, we understand that because... All things were created by Jesus. All things were created for him and by him, and there was nothing made that wasn't made by him. Jesus. And not only that, but if you look in Psalm 33 and verse 6, it'll tell you how powerful the word really was in the beginning. 33 and verse 6, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. That's how you form words. Everything was made by what God said. There's only one thing that exists that God watches over to perform. It's never out of his view. It's never off of his mind. It is an eternal promise that God has made and cannot go back on. He said he watches over his word to perform it. He said, heaven and earth will pass away, but this word will abide and endure forever. God is not a man that he should lie, nor is he the son of man that he should repent. If he said it, he'll do it because he cannot but do it. God and his word are one. That's why I encourage you to memorize it. Don't just listen to it, but learn what it means. You can sit in church. I was in church my whole life before I got saved. You can sit in church your whole life. You can sit in a good church and hear a lot of Bible taught and never remember it. And it did you no good when your life came to an end or when it comes to an end. My daddy was a Catholic. He went to church all the time. Every time they opened the door, he was there either to fix the plumbing in the place or else to, to go in there and kneel and beat on his chest. And when he came to the end of his life in, in 1977, he had no word. He had nothing from God to deal with anything. Nothing. His life was a void and it was empty spiritually. And there was nothing that he ever got out of all that religion that he was in. That ever prepared him, helped him, made him strong. It was nothing more than a formality that it's a duty of all Catholics to participate in. And that's all it was. But it doesn't have to be like that. Because the Bible says also in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 concerning creed and all things, but the power of his word, it says in Hebrews 1, 3, that he upholds all things by the word of his power. Every star is held in place. Every drop of water is in its place. Everything is in exact order. Because the word of God has declared, and the word of God is a boundary for everything. Nothing supersedes, goes beyond this word. Nothing. And the Bible says God himself, in Hebrews 1-3, he upholds all things by the word of his power. We can call it the power of his word. Now, wouldn't it be nice if that kind of power was given to us? Wouldn't it be nice if we could do that? Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. He'd been dead for three days. And see a man who'd been dead and began to stink, suddenly quit stinking and be perfectly normal again. Wouldn't that be nice? 
That was the word of his power. A widow of Nain, wouldn't it be nice to stop a funeral and say to the little boy in the funeral, rise. And the little boy rise from the dead. Make a mother real happy. Wouldn't it be nice? But he did it with a word. He didn't lay hands on anybody. He spoke. He just spoke a word. That's the power of his word. All the blessings of the Old Testament were conditioned on your relationship to his word. Not just memorizing it, not just listening to it. But as the Bible said, hearken and heed. Heed and hearken. Do, keep, listen, obey. What? His commands. God appointed teachers, teaching priests. Their job was to inform the people of the law. And on the basis of their response, they could either be blessed or cursed. And when people responded to God and kept his commandments, they were blessed. And they weren't cursed, but they were blessed. God said in Psalm 138 in verse 2 that he honors his word. He magnifies his word even above his name. And you look at the amazing verses that have to do with his name and worshiping his name and having comfort in his name. And he said he honors his word even above all his name. That's where our power is. This is where it begins. It starts here. You can't bypass this. You have to be word inside minded. You have to hide these words in your heart. You have to be able to speak the word to situations that God sent it to. Because he said his word that goes out of his mouth will accomplish that which he pleases. It'll prosper the thing whereto he sent it. If he sends you somewhere and he says that you have power over the devil and the devil comes along, you can speak the word to the devil. He has to go. You don't try to provoke it. There's more than one case in the Bible where the devil followed people around and they waited a while before they dealt with it. There's a time that God will anoint you to do that. How many times did Jesus say in the Bible, it is written? When the devil came to tempt Jesus, he didn't call upon his divine power to deal with the devil. He did the same thing he's told you to do. It is written. He didn't have to carry some kind of a note in his pocket saying, what am I supposed to do here? He'd already memorized it. He hid this word in his heart. And when the devil came, Jesus said, it is written. It is written. Every time you hide the word of God in your heart and you count as a treasure to memorize this word, to keep it on the inside where you can talk about it, think about it, and quote it. I mean, it's daily activity of thinking the word, living the word, but thinking it. It's in your mind. You're given that to overcome with, and that is what the Holy Spirit will bring to your attention when it's time for warfare. And you release that word, and it'll work because it's prompted by the Spirit. You have an assistant. Did you know that when it comes to spiritual warfare, you have assistance? It's the Holy Spirit. He knows that we have a need. We can't just remember all the things we're supposed to. You might have had a word in there three months ago that you really dealt with, but you can't exactly remember it now, but there comes one of those times in which you got to have that, and he brings it to your attention. You thought, oh, I still remember that. Well, he does. 
And that's what the Spirit of God uses in your life to make you free. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And when the devil comes in, you can say to him, it is written. You don't have to call me. Brother Tom, the devil's over here. Well, he's over here too. Where is he not? Like one night when Sarah was real little, she came in the room and she was whimpering around and woke me up. She always came to me, not to Bonnie. I said, what's the matter? She said, the devil's trying to get me. And I said, are you spirit-filled? Can you speak in tongues? He said, yes. I said, well, go back in there and talk to him. Go back in there and tell the devil to get out of there. Deal with it. So she went back in the room, woke the whole house up. <laughs> she did. She was there just yelling at the devil. <laughs> I just smiled. Praise God. I don't know that at that time, as the Spirit of God led me then, I don't think she was too little to learn how to fight. The devil's not bigger than you are. God is faithful who would not allow you to be tempted or tested beyond that which you are able. Just make sure you put the word in your heart. That's what makes you able. If you don't start really taking this word, you live by the word. You got to hide it in your heart. If you don't do that, then what are you going to speak to the devil when he comes around? You're going to tell him how gifted you are, how good a singer you are, how many tracks you passed out, how many countries you've been to. It has nothing to do with power. Nothing. That's just your resume of your spiritual activity. Matthew chapter 8, speaking of the word of God and how it's used and how it's released, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 8. The centurion said this to Jesus in Matthew 8 and verse 8. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. We don't have to touch him. We don't have to put a cloth on him. We don't have to have a prayer meeting. You speak the word, the centurion said, and my servant will be healed. And Jesus said, I have not found so great a faith, not even in this nation. That a man, a centurion, probably not even Jewish, came to him and said, Master, if you'll speak the word, my servant home will be healed. Jesus said, I'll come and heal him. He said, you don't have to come and heal him. I'm not worthy for you to be in my house. I know who you are. You're the head and power over a whole lot of things, including what's bothering my servant. And you have such authority that if you'll just say, servant, be healed, my servant has to be healed. And whatever's bothering him has to go because of who you are and what you said. If you'll say that, my servant's healed. And Jesus said, I haven't found that kind of faith anywhere. But then it goes on. Verse 16. When evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils. How would you like for that to be on your doorstep? Did I read that right? Nobody responds about the doorstep. But when the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with demons. And he cast out the spirits with what? His word. And he says, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. John 14, he said, the works that I do shall, you do also, didn't he? Well, this is one of them here. This is something that he did. He cast out the spirits with his word and healed most of them that were sick. Said he healed them all, didn't he? Isn't that good? In Luke 1:37, it says, for with God, nothing is impossible. 
and you break nothing down, it's for with God, no thing. It's really that. It's two words, no thing. And the word thing is our word harema. This is not a good definition, but sometimes what the logos produces in a man becomes a thing that is done. Now, that's not a good definition, but it happens to be in this case that with God, no word is void of power. But with God, no word. God has never given you anything in his word, however it settles into your heart and however you come to understand it. That word is always with power, always. There's not a time it isn't. It always has it. Whether you use it or not, it works like it. For with God, nothing is impossible. Translated, for with God, no word, you can look at other translations, no word is void of power. Isn't that what he said when he said, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return powerless or empty, but it shall accomplish that which I please. It'll prosper the thing whereto I sent it. Did he send the word to cast out devils? Well, I think it's still in Mark 16. These signs shall follow those who believe. And one of them is in his name, you'll cast out demons. You will. You. You will. Me. You. That's who the word's for. It's for us, but individually, it's for you too. So you see, you've got to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And the power of his might is essentially, basically, fundamentally his word. This is where he starts. This is what you go by. This is what God watches over to perform. This is what God listens to. It's not our sorrow and our tears and our good intentions. It's the word of God. And when you speak, speak the word of God. That's what gets his ear. The second thing in your warfare that you have to be strong in, that God gives to us, next to the word, most powerful elements of a believer's authority, and that's the name of Jesus. The name. There's no name like that name. Now, looking at the name of Jesus... Let me read first of all. You can turn to Philippians chapter 2 at the verse that everybody understands and knows. And while you're there, let me read in Luke chapter 1 and verse 30 and 31. This is where his name was announced. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Whose idea was it to give the name of Jesus to Jesus? It was the Lord's idea. You shall call his name Jesus. And concerning that name in Philippians 2, if you're there, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. Let this mind be in you in Shelbyville Christian Assembly, which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth 
and things under the earth. Wherever there is anything, there is one name that commands allegiance. It's the name of Jesus. Let me just point something out here in verse 6. It says, who being in the form of God, what does that mean? He was in the form of God and goes on to say in a couple of verses later, was made in the fashion of a man. He was in the form of God, the morphe, the likeness of God, and was made like man. Now, this is who Jesus is, and the power is behind his name because of what these things mean. Remember, the Bible also refers to him as in Isaiah 9 and 6. He's called Wonderful, Counselor. Jesus is called the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. Let me ask you a question. Does the Bible say that Jesus is the Everlasting Father? Does it say that Jesus is the mighty God? Huh. Does it say in Titus chapter 2, hasting to and looking forward to the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ? Boy, I'll tell you, there's a study there that one of these days will be free to bring up, but that is so wonderful to see all the Old Testament revelations being fulfilled in Jesus in the New Testament. It's just marvelous at how he comes out in so many ways as being what they were talking about. You know, when the Bible says that Jesus created all things, the Bible said God created the heavens and the earth. And then the Bible says that Jesus created the heavens and the earth. But Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Form. Let me give you two verses about that. Colossians 1 again and Hebrews 1 again. If you go one book to the right, from Philippians in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15, it says this about Jesus, talking about that word being in the form of God. It said this, who is the image of the invisible God? Who is the image of the invisible God? Jesus. You got to really dwell on this and think through it and get into it to get a piece of it. But the Bible says that Godhead dwelt bodily in this same book in Colossians. It says Godhead dwells in bodily form in Jesus Christ. Everything that God is, Jesus is, but God still remains to be spirit. Remember, God is spirit. I know in John 4 it says that God is a spirit, but God is spirit. That's why he is omnipresent. Because there's nowhere his spirit cannot be. He goes nowhere to be there. He's always there. He's God. Jesus is a visible representative of one God. But as God and like God, he could not only be here with us tonight, because he said we're two or more together, he would be there. But what if two or more gathered over here and out there and over there and in 15 million other places tonight, is he there too? You say, man, I don't know if I understand all that. Well, <laughs> you join the crowd. All I'm saying is that Jesus is called God, the mighty God. And the Bible says that God gave him a name. And the name he carried in this world is a name that is above every name. And the name that is all-encompassing. In Hebrews chapter 1, listen to this who being the brightness of his glory, 
speaking of Jesus, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and as we quoted a while ago, and upholding all things by the power of his word. Who upholds all things by the power of his word? Jesus Christ. Jesus. The express image of his person. What does the image of an invisible God have? How can spirit have an image? Adam was originally made in the image and the likeness of God, was he not? And if God is spirit... That doesn't fit. But Jesus always was. He's always been the eternal son. He said before the world was, he was. He's always been. He always was. And the Bible says that we were made in the image and the likeness of God. We look like him. Amen. He didn't look like a caveman. All that stuff in the schools and the books about all of these old names for Cro-Magnon man and, and all. That's not what he looked like. I have theories about that, but I'm not going to share them because I don't think there's any market for what I had about that. But I can tell you this, that Jesus did not look like a monkey. He looked like what he looked like when he came to this world. He looks just like you and I. That's the image of God to us. God is made himself a body. Jesus came into that body, and what we see in Jesus is what God is. You can relate to him. You can't relate to something spirit because that's over your head, but you can relate to him because as he is, so are we. Not only in appearance, but also in what we can do and what belongs to us and how we can operate down here. But this is the power. This is the way it was. He was made in the likeness of sinful flesh in Romans 8, 3. In the likeness of. He wasn't sinful, but flesh was. But his flesh wasn't because his father was not human. His father was God. Therefore, he was without sin, born of a woman in the likeness of man. He was very God. He was very man, dual nature. He was the son of Adam. He was the son of God. You're staring at me real funny, but it's true. He was both. And that's why when he died on the cross, his spirit could not. His spirit is God. They could not perish. Did not go into some eternal hell suffering. He did descend. That's Ephesians chapter 4. But that will whet your appetite too. Because the Bible says clearly, he that ascended is first that he also that descended into the lower parts of the earth. What did he do? He announced release. He led captivity captive. And that's another interesting story too. But for right now, the power of his name, you look at all that goes with his name, who he is, what he's done, his posture, his position. He's God. And this name that he has that is above every name is a name that you're allowed to use. Matthew 28 and verse 18, he said, go into all the world, teach all the nations. He said, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. But he used the word name in the name of. And yet, when it comes to water baptism, there's no place in the New Testament not a single place in all the New Testament where water baptism was ever done in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost because there's one name 
that represents all of that. His name is Jesus. And yet they didn't just say baptize him in the name of Jesus. Sometimes they said baptize him in the name of the Lord Jesus or the Lord Jesus Christ. There was no formula because there's no law on how you do this. There's no rule that it has to be done a certain way. It's just that everything we do in Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks unto God and the Father by him. Whether you're baptizing or being baptized or whether you're eating food, you're thankful and you're thankful in the name of Jesus. Because Jesus said when you pray in John 14, 15, and 16, when you pray, ask whatever you ask in his name. It's the name. The demon spoke out in Mark chapter 1 and said, we know you who you are. Well, of course they knew him. He was their creator too. They knew him in the beginning. He said, we know who you are. Hast thou come to destroy us before the time? Or don't send us to that place. They knew he could. It's all in his name. And when you and I've seen this happen, and I've done it. When you point your finger at somebody, you look at somebody and say, in the name of Jesus, I bind you. I've seen that work. I had a dream a long time ago. It's never fulfilled. <laughs> I've had some real dreams in my life. But one of them was apparently in the end time. We were directed to go to some well-to-do house. I was with two other people. As we went to this house, we were supposed to witness to this man, these terrible dogs, Doberman-looking dogs, you know, biting dogs, came out. I remember the story. I don't know if I hesitated or just kept going and just pointed my finger at them and kept speaking in tongues, and they didn't do a thing. Madison, Indiana, years ago, we were passing out tracks in every house in a subdivision up there. I had a couple of young folks, and they were on one side of the street, and I was on the other. We were knocking on every door, giving them a little track, and if we could, talk to them about their soul. Most of them didn't want to talk. I remember one house, I'd ask the kids when I came to see them, I said, did you all work this side? He said, well, we got all of but that one house on the corner. We couldn't get up there. Why is that? Because of the big German shepherds up there in the yard. I said something like, well, you have power over that. The response was, <laughs> go ahead, big dog. Let's see what you're going. Well, now what do you do then? No, uh I told you to. Then walk on. I said, well, you can do that. Well, let me see you do it. Now, I didn't really want to get involved with the dog. I really didn't. <laughs> I really, 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 truly, God knows my heart. I didn't want to get involved with the dog. We walked back up the street. And there's this dog laying in the yard about this far off the street, close enough where uh, he's faster than I was. I saw that dog there and People were in the house. So I took a step up way and I was, you know, them big canines. Now these kids are here. And I said to that dog, I said, in the name of Jesus, I bind that biting spirit in you or whatever kind of spirit. I bind you in Jesus' name and you will not hurt me. And I just didn't look at the dog. I walked right beside that dog. Of course, you know, one part of your brain is thinking you are bit. <laughs> You are dog bit right here in the yard. But there was something on the other side that just says, don't look. You spoke it once. The devil heard it. The devil can be in animals. They go in pigs. You know, the animal kingdom can be real violent. 
And I walked past that dog, and that dog followed me, growling. <laughs> I mean, right there. All the way up to the house, I walked on the porch, and that dog was. <laughs> and I walked up there and knocked on the door. And that person came to the door and said, yes, I said, we're passing out tracts in the community here, a little gospel of John. And we would like for you to have one and read it. And if you have any questions, we'd like to talk to you. And just want to know we were interested in doing that. And she looked at me. She said, well, how'd you get up here with that dog out there? And, you know, thinking she's going to call the thing off. <laughs> now, come here, whatever your name is. And, and I said, well, I just trust the Lord. Well, okay. Shut the door. And it's me and him again. And uh, I remember those kids out in the street were like this, you know. So I got to walk back this porch and down that driveway. The dog kind of stands over there by the driveway where I got to walk almost over him. And I'm starting speaking in tongues. I'm jabbering away as whatever. I hope I'm connected real good here because I'm walking over here and that dog going. I mean, I just kept walking in the blood of Jesus. Kept walking, walked around that dog, walked out in the street. But it was good for these two young people because they said, whoa, you know. I said, well, no, the Bible said that we can do that. But I can't tell you that I said, that dog ain't nothing. Get out of here. Just, I didn't do that all the time. I'm walking and fighting this battle. I'm thinking, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, the blood of Jesus. But it worked. It really does work. I don't remember a time I've ever gone into a hospital. I can't remember when I have, since I learned these principles, I can't remember when I've ever gone into a hospital without, first of all, invoking the name of Jesus as the power over me and the blood to cover me as I walk into that place. Because I know that that place is seething with spirits. Spirits of infirmity are everywhere. You need to know that. You don't want to be ignorant of the devil's devices. And I don't walk around washing my hands all day long, three or four times a day. I don't do that. I don't walk around looking for germs or devils. I know that I can eat what I want to eat, and I can, within reason, go where I want to go. But I know that you better be real careful and cautious. The Bible tells us to be circumspect and pay attention, to be sober and be vigilant. Because the devil's out there somewhere looking for a place to snare you. And if he can defeat you, chances are he'll dishearten the people that are with you about whatever authority you think you have. It's important for you to do what you do. Your kids may be watching you or your parents may be. I mean, you need to know what belongs to you and not be terrified at doing what God gave us to do. You can do that. The Bible speaks in Mark 16 as you well know. And these signs shall follow those who believe, he says, in my name. And one of the things he mentions they will do, not only will they speak in tongues, aren't you glad? I hope you're glad about that. Tongues. I don't want to get off on that subject, but I know this. I know this to all of you here that most people that have spoken in tongues once seldom ever do it anymore. Almost never. You think, what good was it? You read the Bible, what the purpose and the function of tongues was in somebody's life, and then you'll do it every day. Especially the one in Jude 20 where you build up yourself on your most holy faith. That's what releases the word, your faith. But he said not only will they speak in tongues, but he said they'll cast out demons, Mark 16. These signs shall follow you people. 
you will cast out devils. You have to know that it's the devil you're dealing with and that it's the right timing because you can't make a devil come out of somebody if the somebody he's in doesn't want him out. I tried that two or three times. But when God arranges a specific situation to teach you and to lead you into a deeper walk with him, you don't have to be a giant in the faith. You just have to be willing to do what he's shown you to do and use the words he gave you. Sometimes you just only say the devil. I command you to come out of him in Jesus' name or her. I rebuke that murderous spirit in that guy trying to start this war. Or I rebuke this whatever lying spirit that's trying to deceive me. You can do that. You do it in the name of Jesus. Now, Acts chapter 3. Let me just show you something in the book of Acts and then we'll go on. The book of Acts... Chapter 3, and then Acts chapter 19. You remember this story? It begins in verse 1. Peter and John went up into the temple to pray. Verse 2, and a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him, this would be the time in which the anointing to deal with it comes. That man had been lying there many other days that they went into the temple. This wasn't the first time they went into the temple. Neither was this the first day that man was brought out there to beg for alms. I believe they had passed this man many times. Maybe Jesus had too here was one day that the anointing came, that stirring of God to deal with something here. This poor soul laying there had an abnormal life. He had never run, played, jumped. He was lame from his youth. He could do nothing. The kind of person you just go, Phew, poor thing. And when they saw Peter and John, he said, we well, started begging for alms. Peter fastening his eyes on him said to him in verse 6, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have. Does your Bible say that? Where did he get it? From Jesus. Jesus commissioned John to go and do what he was doing. He gave them power to do it. Just like we read a while ago in Ephesians 1. The power that he had, which he gave to his disciples, he has given to his church. That's us. And he said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And then everybody begins to say, now this was apostolic power. This was the power that Jesus gave to his disciples and nobody else. Well, not so. When they questioned all of this, Verse 12, Peter said, why are you looking at us as though we by some power of our own made this man to walk? Why are you looking at us as though we have something that made this work? Listen to what he said. He said, the God of Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob, 
the God of our fathers hath glorified his son Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go, and so forth. And verse 16, and his name through faith in his name has made this man strong. That's available to everybody in this room. Everybody out in the electronic world used to say tape world, but half of it's not tape anymore. Peter said, such as I have, I give. I got it. It's to be used. Freely I have received. Freely I'm going to give. Jesus set me free. I want you to be set free. He said, in the name of Jesus, you rise up and walk. And then Peter reached down and grabbed him by the hand and yanked him up. And when he got up, what happened to him? Took him by the right hand, verse 7. Pulled him up, didn't he? What did he do when he grabbed his hand and yanked on him? Hurt his shoulder. <laughs> Made him cry. And immediately his feet and ankles received strength. And verse 13, Jesus Christ was glorified. It was not the work of a man. It was simply a man of God's choosing, demonstrating with his faith that he believed what Jesus gave him to do, and he did it, and God honored his word. And the Bible said it works like this in verse 19. And his name through faith in his name has made this man strong. And his name through faith in his name has made Levi strong. And faith in his name has made Crystal strong. And faith in his name has made me strong. And faith in his name has made any of you strong. We can quit saying, when is God going to do something? It's obvious he already has. It's obvious everything that needs to be done in order to successfully deal with the devil has already been done. He has given us authority over the devil, over all the power of the enemy. He put all things under his feet and seated us at his own right hand in the heavenly places while we're on this earth. We have authority from heaven. Again, it says, greater is he that is inside of you than he that is in the world. Jesus, as I've said many times about our healing, when it's going through pains and, and symptoms and things, I've said this many times. You have no right to put on me what God laid on Jesus in my behalf. My diseases and my sicknesses have all been borne away. They're no longer mine. I don't have my cold, my backache, my problem. I don't have anything anymore. It's not mine. I'm not signing for it. I don't receive it. Amen. He said, well, it still looks like it hurts. I don't care what it looks like. He said, when you pray, believe. And you're never going to be in vain when you pray believing in the name of Jesus. That works. If you believe and if you know what you got. Now, folks, if you don't know and you're going to try this, let me give you a little warning about Acts 19. Turn over there. Deliverance, casting out demons, a lot of it in the Bible. Verse 13. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them that had evil spirits in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, they weren't of him. They weren't his followers. They were imitating what his disciples had been doing. But because it worked for them, they assumed 
that there was some kind of mystical power. All they had to do was just speak this name of Jesus and the devil would go because there's power in the name. However, verse 13, to call over them which had evil spirits in the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. And there were seven sons of one Siva, a Jew, and chief of the priests which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And what does that mean? Well, there's two different words for know in verse 15. Jesus I'm acquainted with. I'm well versed with him. I know who he is. And he said with Paul, I'm familiar with him too. I'm not done with him. Jesus I know, Paul I'm acquainted with. The demon would say, I know that both of these are related. The man Paul believes in Jesus. I followed him around. He always stands his ground when I do something. And he uses that word against me. And I know I have to obey him because he's a believer. And Jesus, of course, I'm well aware who he is. But he said to this one, Siva, he said, who are you? Who are you that don't believe? Who are you that don't even take it to heart what this word means? You think that you can just take a word that the Christians use to cast out demons and you can just use it because it's the name of Jesus? You think you can just go out there in the dark world just saying the name of Jesus and everything has to flee? Let me tell you all something. The devil knows who you are too. He knows the nature of your walk, the sincerity of your walk or the lack of it. He knows how intense you are about it or just how much you're fooling around playing. He knows. The devil knows if he has to mind you or obey your commands or not. When he has to obey your commands, he's very much afraid of you because he knows that you have power over him and he knows he has to obey your commands. But how many people have we known that acted like they had it, talked like they had it, Devil whipped them one day and the next day and every day of their life just kept whipping them. Nothing worked. The key is faith. It's not just being able to say what the Bible says. It's believing what the Bible says. It's having this word in your heart as a certainty. I know this will work. If you're not sure, then you need to strengthen yourself in the Lord. You need to get back and study this book. Find out exactly what you believe about it. Because especially those of you that are going places, I know we got a couple of men here that are going to leave and go out of town and go in some really dark places. A lot of superstitious spirits, a lot of bewildered, deceived people who don't know anything else. And the spirit in these people, these religious spirits and these folks are so strong that for the most part, many of them will never change. They never change. These are spirits that they've had in their family tree for centuries. They don't know anything else. They can act religious. They can be very pious and very holy, but they can't change. They're demons. When you get a chance to teach these people, you don't have to try to use any clever ideas. Just speak the truth. God uses one thing to set anybody free, and that's the truth. You don't have to be real knowledgeable about all of this. You got to just believe this and speak the truth to people. 
This is what Jesus did for me. Jesus set me free. I used to have the problems you're having. I don't have them anymore because the Bible says I've been delivered from all of that, and I believe it. That's what people need to hear. Amen. We're only halfway through this. There's two more. One of them is the blood of Jesus. And the other one is praise. And we'll get to that the next time. God bless you all. Amen.